appreciate, as that song says, that there is an incredible joy in the journey. But part of that comes from an understanding of what the journey is all about and who is leading in the journey. And I thought it was ironic and absolutely uh, paramount and central when Austin was started to caption what he was about to read and saying this is about a relationship of, of love that we have with God. And then he paused for a moment and said, but you know what? All the Bible is about a relationship with love. And so with that thought in mind, it certainly parallels what what I want to talk about today, which may sound rather technical, but hopefully we'll make it less technical. I'm not going to use a bunch of Greek terms for what we're going to talk about, but I do want to talk about Trinitarian theology and you. Now understand that not everybody has a Trinitarian approach towards their theology. And historically, we did not have a Trinitarian approach. But in these last days, for us anyway, we have. And it is what uh, the Grace Communion, what we emphasize in terms of our theology. Now what is theology? Theology is the study of the attributes, uh, the characteristics of God, who and what God is, and, and how God functions, and how we understand God. Now, when we think about an analogy, which is a study of, we think about coming to understand, uh, coming to know something, and so with that thought in mind, What I want to use as central to our scripture today and our focus is John chapter 17 and verse 1 because this is what Jesus gives us in his word according to his definition about what eternal life is all about. And with this understanding of eternal life, I think it will give to us a better understanding and absolutely be able to to believe and to have a joy in the journey in which you and I are on. To give us hope when we feel hopeless, to give us direction when we feel lost. But John chapter 17 and verse 1, and this is a, a prayer of Jesus where he's talking about and asking the Father to, to glorify him, that he may be given the, that he's been given authority and all of that. But in verse 3, three he says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Seems rather small statement here in terms of eternal life, but how awesomely big really is this? First of all, when we look at what Jesus is saying here in terms of knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, who is to know? Well, first of all, Jesus said that they, that would be his disciples, that would be you and I as, as time has moved through, as time has gone by. And it is also true for the whole world that they would know the only true God. It's important 
But when we think about knowing God, as I have mentioned, and we are all aware of this, there are times in life when we have a distorted picture of who God is and how God acts and interacts with us. We may see God um, when terrible tragedies happen in the world. We may see God as being very austere. And this is a comment that is oftentimes made by people when they look back in the Old Testament and said, well, if that is the kind of God that God is, I don't want any part to do with it. I'll have this. To be a God of love, you've got to do it this way and not that way. So we see that. So Jesus wants us, you, I, each one of us, to know the only true God. So the request is from Jesus is that we know the Heavenly Father God. Now, it's a starting point for all eternity having a future in a, a true knowledge. And knowledge here signifies more than just academic knowledge. Because we can think, well, I just want to know the facts. Uh, Jack Webb in the old movie Dragnet, whenever he was investigating, and I see Carol smiling, see, which means Carol and I understand about where, where I'm going to go. He would say to the, per, the individual, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. He didn't want anything else, he just wanted facts. And so when we think about God, is, is that all that we want? We just want to know the facts. Rather about knowing God, when it comes to Trinitarian theology, it is more than knowing facts. It is about knowing about the relationship that God has with us, what God is doing. But it goes beyond us because if we're only thinking about the relationship that God has with us, then we're missing a lot about what Trinitarian theology and what God is all about. So when we begin to understand and appreciate it. So when we look, for example, at Genesis, from Genesis to Jesus, the knowledge of God lacks a fuller understanding that only comes through Jesus. So if you start in the book of Genesis and you just read up to the the point that Mary conceived, is, uh, Jesus is conceived, up until this point, the knowledge of God is extremely limited. And how, do they, how does Israel see God? Well, Israel sees God as there is only one God. And in, with this one God, though, there are some strange things that happen. There are some, quote, spiritual things. They are visited by Melchizedek. Uh, there are prophets who've, who've gone on before, who've been lifted up into the heavens, and they've seen angels and seraphim and cherubim and archangels, and there's mention of that, but there's one God. That's it. And their image and their idea of God is somewhat limited. Then comes along Jesus. And things begin to change in terms of their understanding. Is God changing? No. But their understanding of God begins to change with Jesus. Whose understanding? 
Well, I'd like to say that the disciples' understanding of God changed. But in reality, the disciples' understanding of God did not, and was not changing to the degree that we understand the change. So let me give you an example of this, because we're going to the example of a disciple who was with Jesus, and after all the time with Jesus, is asking a very simple question about God. And here's how it goes. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, and I thank Philip for asking the question, because it is an interesting question. So Jesus tells them here, Philip said to, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So, I don't need to know anything more. I just need to know the Father. And then Jesus answered, Don't you know me? Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? And now... now the, the, it becomes a little bit more complicated because he's asking a question about the relationship that he, Jesus, has with the Father. So Philip is missing a number of things here. Because when we think about Trinitarian theology, three, three in one, and, and how, how to explain all that, and we're, we're going to talk about that here. Philip is missing here in his understanding when he asks about that. He's missing the Father because he says, we really, you know, show us the Father because we don't know what the Father looks like, acts like, or whatever. Show us, he doesn't ask about, show us the Son, and he has no idea about the Holy Spirit. These things are, are going to be new. Also missing with Philip is Jesus, because he really doesn't understand. Even though he calls him Lord and Master, he really does not understand who Jesus really is. And that is not uncommon. It is not uncommon in our world today. Who is Jesus? We, we live in a world where, well, he was a good person. He possibly existed. We, some people would argue uh, he was a prophet, like other prophets had gone by. Uh, but beyond that, of course, we realize in a much broader perspective, when John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and by the way, the Word was God. So he explains it a little more for, for, further. But Philip is also missing another huge thing. What is the relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? He is missing that as well. Now, Jesus, I want to back up here because it speaks to the world in which we live today. And when we look to the world in which we live today, the question is, how does one receive salvation? And you'll hear, well, there are many roads, there are many paths. You can go any way you want to. You can serve Buddha, you can do this, you can part of Zen, all of these things. 
And this is where there is a harsh kickback uh, towards Jesus in this regard in verse 6. Because Jesus answered and said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are there exceptions? Can you come to the Father? Now, what do we mean by come to the Father? Well, you can know that there is a God. I mean, the ancients believed in all kinds of gods. They made all... So you can know a God. But what does it mean to come to the Father? How do people see... And, and they, they tend to see the Father as the God of the Old Testament. This is, this is that God. And then Jesus comes along. And he's the God of grace and all of that. But they tend to see God from that perspective. That here's this harsh... God. This is the Father. He's the harsh one. Jesus is the kind, generous individual who comes along. So, but Jesus says, you cannot come to the Father and truly come to the Father to see him who he is. You know, we play, as a general rule, about 90% of the time, uh, again, the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and it's because I love it and I can do it. And But it's it's awesome. It's how Jesus teaches us to pray. And he starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is, was there, is there a time when his name is, is not hallowed, honored for who he really is? Not in Jesus' sight, but in terms of the world, yes. So he says, you can only come except through me. And then he says, if you really knew me. And this is what about coming to the Father is about, and this is what Trinitarian theology is about as well. Now notice as he goes on here in John chapter 14 and beginning here in verse 9, Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Now those are kind of simple words, but the reality is that the Father is in Christ, and Jesus is in him. The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me, who is doing his work. So you find this connection, this relationship that Jesus says that he has to the Father. Believe me when I say, and again, this is the difficulty in our world today, and it is the difficulty of Trinitarian theology is the ability to believe. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. At least believe me on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have done, have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may be, bring glory to the Father. And you may ask anything in my name and I will do it. This is what Jesus tells us. Now, as we go on in John chapter 14, we find Jesus introduces something a little different in a more powerful way even though he's talked about it before. Then he says, if you love me, verse 15, you'll obey my command. You'll do what I am telling you. And I will ask the Father, 
and he'll give you another comforter. Now, what are we talking about here? Another, give you another counselor, comforter, will be with you forever, a spirit of truth. Now, we think about understanding Trinitarian theology, it is about a spirit. Now, notice here, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. And you think, oh, wow, what do you mean he lives with us? And he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize, and notice what he says, that I am in the Father. Now he begins to include more. You are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So in all of this, Jesus says that the bottom line is that we are loved by the Father, we will be loved by Christ. In that day, you will know what? That I am in the Father, you are in me, I am in you. That the Father has loved us and does love us, and Jesus will make himself known to us. So, I want to make a jump back, all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, what we need to understand about the book of Genesis in this regard is that in Genesis chapter 1, it tells, there's this, Scripture says, let us, this is a recording of what God was doing, let us make man in our image. So, when we think about, okay, there's, there's, there's an involvement, there's an inclusiveness in the term us. And what is us and the spirit moved upon? There are things going on, but we tend to think of there is one God and the like. If we're not careful, if we don't understand the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to suggest, and I'm trying to give you this example, that if there are artists out there, statue makers, that can make almost an exact representation of you, carve you out of marble, carve you out of stone, carve you out of wood, they can make something that looks almost exactly like you. And if you want to get really technical, uh, what is it, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, you can make people out of wax and they look totally real. Or we're getting to the point we can use 3D imaging and we can produce something that looks almost totally exactly like us. And that's an image. But what is missing in a statue? I saw, we saw a lot of statues when we were in Rome and Italy and, and the like, all kinds of statues of ancient leaders and all of that. And we've been to the wax museum, and these people look real. But what's missing? Well, one thing that's missing is a human spirit. Because they're not human. They're not alive. Another thing that is missing is, we would say, a Holy Spirit. 
Because even if we're alive and we have a human spirit, it doesn't last forever. We die and that's it. There's a Holy Spirit missing as well. But then, if just left to the human spirit, there isn't this relationship with God and there isn't a relationship with our fellow man and we lack understanding. However, when we have in us God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit, we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us who were baptized were baptized in, from, from the command in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Now, understand, we didn't understand it fully, but we followed the command. Baptize, as Jesus said, baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what he tells us to do. And that is what all of us who have been baptized, that was part of the baptismal ceremony involved in that. So, left to, again, left to ourselves, we would just be us. Now, when we think about the image, let's go to the example that even more so expresses what an image ought to be like. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, where we find the author of the book of Hebrews speaking of Jesus said, But in these last days he spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word, and after he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven. And so he became superior. So the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Now, theology, it is a, the theology of Trinitarian, is that they're three in one, the three in one problem. How is it that God can be three in one? And there are a lot of technical terms that theologians will use, but I'm going to use far less technical terms with us for today. Because, first of all, as I've mentioned, the Old Testament refers to there's only one God. You can only serve one God. Don't serve any other God. There's only one, etc. And Paul mentions that. Paul was a firm believer that there is only one God. Then he meets Jesus. In the New Testament, what we've already read is that Jesus speaks about the only true God in John chapter 17 and verse 1, uh, 3 rather, in terms of eternal life. And we also know that his prayer, as it goes on in John chapter 17, verses 21 and 2, his prayer is that for us, that we may be one as they are one. That is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, you may think, okay, how is it that I can explain the three in one? How can I explain that? If I can't explain that, how can I have a, a belief in Trinitarian theology? Well, let me just say this. Your problems are answered by Jesus. That should not be a problem. 
And I'll tell you why. Because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to his father in his discourse with the father. He says, Father, I thank you that you've revealed this unto babes. And then he goes on to say, no one can know the father except the son reveal him. And no one can know the son except the father reveal him. This is a Jesus problem. However, in terms of theology, we can be like Jesus. That is, through the Holy Spirit, we can be like Jesus Christ. We are his disciples. Follow me. Come, learn of me, who I am, all of these things. Trinitarian theology is is about our relationship in truth with God. And what is the truth about God and God's relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The truth is, as John put it in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, I believe, he says, God is love. Now, when did God become love? He's always been love. Jesus says, the Father loves me because I obey him and I follow him. God is relational. He's always been relational. By the fact that Jesus said, the Father is in me, you in me, and I in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So what kind of person could you and I be without the Holy Spirit working in our life? To counsel us, to comfort us, to guide us. And by the way, what does the Holy Spirit do? As Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak about me and he will glorify me. How do we have the mind of Christ without the Holy Spirit being in us? But it is with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that we have the mind of Christ. And how do we love one another? Because the command for us is to love one another as the Father has loved me, that he has loved us. How do we become relational as we read there from John chapter 15? You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. Uh, And by the way, I have chosen you. You didn't choose me. Now this comes back to the understanding of Trinitarian theology that absolutely is incredible. When did Jesus die for us? 1946? When you were born, before the foundation of the world, Christ died for us. You know, we weren't around to make a choice and say, Lord, create me. Create Adam, create Eve. No, no. We weren't around. When did God start loving us? What do we find in the book of Genesis when he made creation? He said it is very good. God loved us from the very beginning. He had a plan and he has purpose. And, and who is this God? He is our Father. Not just one, but he is our Father. Now, what Trinitarian theology teaches us is, in essence, there are primarily four kinds of relationships. Number one, there is a relationship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an incredible relationship of love from all eternity, through all eternity, throughout the universe. Then there is the relationship 
of the eternal Son to humanity. The eternal Son for humanity. And then there is a relation of humanity that our relationship to God. And then fourthly, there is a relationship of humanity to humanity to one another. Love and fellowship. Love your neighbors as self. So when we go back to the Old Testament, what does it tell us? The commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and being. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that something new with God? It's from the beginning. God has done that. So when we recognize Trinitarian theology, it is about who God is. God is a God of love. God has created us. He's made us out of his love. Now let's take a look at the problem, Trinitarian theology and the problem. In Romans chapter 5, because Paul is addressing this. In Romans chapter 5, and let's look at the where the problem and the difficulty comes in. And I'll go back to Dave's comment on Saturday Night Live. You know, who's responsible for this, all this evil? There's the devil. It, he is, has been messing with lives of human beings from the get-go. But here's what we find in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses over those who did not sin by breaking the commandment, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died for the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So if it's possible that by one man's sin, we all sin and end up paying a price, on the other hand, there is a greater gift, and that is in Christ Jesus. And again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin, The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And who does justification for us? It is Christ. For if by trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? So again, reminds us this, and then it tells us in verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we find on the one hand, one man sins. On the other hand, one man, Jesus in this case, brings us grace from the foundation of the world. So now, what is the, what is the result of eternity? Uh, Trinitarian theology. How does that impact our life? What is Trinitarian theology's answer to this problem of sin? How does it answer? Because I'm going to guess and bet that all of us, from this point forward, will sin from time to time. And have sinned in the past and have not quite lived up to these, even at the standard of the law. And sometimes you have to ask yourself this question, and you think, well, I'm quite the law keeper. 
How well are you living up to your own law? Because we set laws for ourselves. How often have we been disappointed with ourselves? And which brings up the question, begs the question, that if you have a law for yourself and you don't live up according to that law and you don't like what you have done, I'm reminded of that if it's not done in faith, it is sin. So I'm just talking about the possibilities of sinning, which are 100% for us. But when we look at Trinitarian theology and we look at how it, it, its answer Verse 1 of chapter 5 begins to tell us what this answer is. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whose faith? Well, it is the faith of Christ, who knew that he could die and did die for all mankind from the beginning. It was a decision that God, the Father and Son, made long before you and I ever came, before the foundation of the earth. It is by faith. So when we think about the faith of Christ, even if we were to think about our own personal faith and we say, you know, I saw the light and I trust in God. Well, then we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. What do you mean you saw the light? Because Jesus says, I am the light. I saw the light. How did you see it? Well, I saw it with my eyes. Well, who gave you eyes? How does that eye work? Well, these light beams come, they filter through the pupil, and they're, and they're turned into electrical signals, and they, gave it, they go back to the brain, and then they translate, and you see and by the way, you see in color. And the signals aren't in color, but they are transformed into color. We see that. And we have a brain. And I'm able to understand and interpret all these things. And who made all that possible? Oh, I, I just trust. No, God gives us faith. It is a gift from God. And so we begin to appreciate what God has done. And so what we see here is an incredible turnaround for us. That we're justified by Christ. That we have peace. We have peace with, with God through Jesus Christ. And that is the peace that we ought to have in this very moment. We ought to have peace through Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which, in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Oh, how has God done this? Can we talk about loving one another? How much is the Holy Spirit involved? He has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in our life. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the love. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, all of these things. Which is given us. And you think, well, okay... But it's kind of a struggle. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Did Jesus die for the godly? He died for the ungodly while we were helpless, while we didn't have the power. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. And we read this in John chapter 15. You know, you are my friends. You lay down, greater love has no man. They lay down his life for his friends. You talk about a self-statement there. Jesus, you know, he's inspiring Paul. But it is Jesus expressing how much he loves us. In that statement. And he reminds us of that here. Well, someone dare die. But God, uh oh, whoa, whoa, but who? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who loves us? God the Father loves us. How long has he loved us? From eternity. From the beginning of time and beyond, before the foundations of the world, God has loved us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were yet God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, well, why we were still God's enemies? This goes, when did reconciliation take place? You've got to ask yourself, when did reconciliation take place? In Trinitarian theology, it took place before you were ever born. Before the foundation of the world. God had a plan and a purpose, and he reconciled it. When Jesus says, here I am, Lord, send me, it was a done deal. When is your forgiveness? From the foundation of the world. And you say, well, how can that be? You know, you can just get away with anything. You do not live a life that is filled with sin and crime and hate and all of that if, if you serve God. There is no way. If you love God, as Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do that. That's how you'll live. So if we, we're reconciled through the Son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. This reconciliation has taken place long before that. God knew what he was doing when he created mankind. And when you think about how we live, it's like, oh, I want to live according to the law. As Paul said, the law, the letter of the law kills. The spirit gives life. And then you begin to see, and when you sing the song, our God is an awesome God, he's always been an awesome God. Always. Jesus is incredible. Knowing Jesus and God the Father, whom he reveals, changes everything. And in his time, and this is the thing about it, you know, God hasn't, you know, not everybody has come. The point is, the reconciliation, forgiveness, all of that is out there. Our job is to believe and to accept it. We live in a world that doesn't believe. And sometimes we, we set out to try to prove that we can do it. And, and no one can do it. Only one person has ever lived the law perfectly. That's Jesus. Only one. And only one could. 
but he gives to us reconciliation. So we know Jesus. He reveals everything. And it's in his time. And if we think, well, I don't understand this fully, what you don't have to understand fully is how God can be three in one. But the beauty of what we can understand is the theology of Trinitarianism. That is, we have a heavenly Father. That's a relationship. We have God the Son. That's Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we have also a high priest. The, the one and only, this explains this, the one and only begotten Son. There is only one and only begotten Son. The firstborn among many brethren. In Trinitarian theology, it shows us here's the Father, God, as we know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here is Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. Because, again, you, you, when we go back to the resurrection and explain something that you would not understand otherwise, Jesus was fully human. He was buried. He was put in a tomb. But when they came to check on him, Mary and Martha, there was no body. Where did it go? Was Jesus just human for this short period of time? No, he's glorified. He is our high priest. By the way, who sits at the right hand of God? By the way, who ever lives to make intercession for us? And I would suggest ever lives means ever lives. That is, he is always there to make intercession. Once and for all, he makes intercession. That he made intercession, our Lord Jesus made intercession for us way back there. The Son made intercession before we were ever created. It changes our life, brethren. It's like you have the truth of this sets you free in a way that you never have been set free before in your life. And it's something to rejoice in, that we have salvation, that we have reconciliation, we have redemption, we have one who justifies us, we have one who loves us, we have all of that. And so Jesus introduces us into the triune God, the Father God, and he introduces himself to us as well. When our theology is a reality... When we begin to understand, here is the reality of God. God is beyond what we could ever imagine of ourselves. Jesus the Son is telling us, come, let me show you the Father. Let me reveal things. Let me help you come to know the Father because that's eternal life. And I could just kind of skip forward, as it were, to the book of Revelation. And it's kind of like this introduction. Jesus saying to him, I'd like to introduce to you the one who removed away all tears, all pain, and all sorrow. This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the theology. And to me, it is absolutely so encouraging to understand it. Do I understand how three can be in one? All the, you know, persons, personalities, all that? I don't. I don't understand it all, but I don't have to. Because I believe that Jesus, in his right time, right way, and all of that, is revealing 
the Father to us more and more as we go through time. And and throughout eternity, he will be introducing us and helping us to get to know God, our Heavenly Father. And by the way, he's not going to introduce us as servants. He will introduce us to the Father. These are my friends whom I dearly love. That's who we are in this day. Because that's what Jesus said in John 15. You are my friends. And through Trinitarian theology, we can be a friend of God, which is what Abraham was. What an incredible blessing and opportunity. So I hope it explains some things to you. If you don't understand it all, nor do I. I do understand this. And John put it quite simply. God is love. We're made in his image. Bear his image. Exemplify his image to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we thank you very much for your loving kindness. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for all these blessings. Guide and direct us. Lead us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling the blues today or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.